Matthew chapter 8. And I want to talk about how God loves to bring people from the outside in. Uh, this was not actually the message I planned at all to preach today. I believe God's going to speak to a lot of hearts today, but specifically I know he sent this message. So if he sent it for you, you're the reason I was up most of the night last night. So make sure that you hear this, hear what God's saying to you uh, today. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole or clean. So then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately, he was made whole. A couple of things I want you to note there. The first thing Jesus was willing to do was to come down. From the mountain where he was. Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to come down to where we are? Aren't you glad that Jesus is always willing to come down and come into our lives and our circumstances where we are? He still does that. There would never have been any ministry, any engagement, any healing, any deliverance or any life had Jesus refused to come and be a part of the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of where we are. I want to encourage you as believers today to be very aware of how we treat those who are broken. Because the emphasis of what I want to say today is that there are a lot of people who feel like, even in church, that they're on the outside looking in. This leper lived in Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel represented the place of covenant. They were the covenant people of God. They were the ultimate insiders of all insiders. They were not strangers to the covenants of promise. They were not strangers to worship. Like no other nation around, they were a part of everything that God was doing. But yet, this leper, because of something that was out of his control... Because not of something he had done, but because of something that had happened to him, he was on the outside. As a matter of fact, whenever anybody would come close to him, he would have to call out, unclean, unclean. He wasn't able, because of his skin disease that was contagious, he was not able to have contact with his family, his friends, those he loved. He was left on the outside of Everything that was happening looking in, but one day Jesus was walking by. And Jesus was coming close because he was willing to come down. Now listen, our ultimate example as believers is not some great preacher or teacher that you've heard of or some great author whose book you like to read. That those are we have thank God we have some great teachers, some great preachers and some great authors, and I'm thankful for every one of them, but they're not our example. And our example certainly is not each other because if you've been around people very long, you know that we're going to fail each other for at some point and some time. So we're not the example. Our example is Jesus. And I want you to notice that Jesus comes down. He comes down from a place where it was just him and the Father. He comes down from a place where all was well and all was right. And he steps into a place where everything is broken and everything is messed up and everything is hurting and everything is undone. And this leper is there and he cries out to him and he immediately says, Lord, because this man recognizes who has come his way, he's able to have hope. Because he recognizes the place that Jesus holds over all things, he's able to have an expectation that maybe, just maybe, he can get from the outside and get inside. Maybe, just maybe, all of the the stigma, all of the pain, all of the confusion, all of the hurt, all of the loneliness that he's felt for so long can finally just drop away if he can just get the attention of Jesus. So, so he says, Lord, and I love that he makes this statement, if you are willing, you can cleanse me or make me whole. He, he's not saying that, he understands that there's no ifs, ands, or buts about whether Jesus can cleanse him. He can absolutely make him whole. That's not a question. And he believes that. The only question in his mind is, will you touch me? 
Are you willing? Will you engage with me? Will you stop? Will you turn your eyes my way? Will you turn your ears my way? And Jesus does stop. And he looks at him. And there's some awesome statements in here that I want you to see. The man did not put out his hand for Jesus to touch. He would have never done that. Because he knew the stigma that was on him. He, he knew no religious leader would ever touch him. No scribe, no Pharisee, no priest would ever touch him. No other good Jew that was concerned about whether or not he would be able to make it to the temple and do his thing at, at temple time would ever touch him because to touch him would make them unclean as well. And So he had no doubt that nobody in this religious community would ever touch him. But Jesus reaches out his hand to the man on the outside, to the man who we don't know how many years, maybe, maybe decades, have been so broken, so undone, so isolated, so lonely. He reached out his hand to him, and he does the unthinkable in the old covenant time. He touched the leper. Now, I want you to understand, that would make, religiously, ceremonially, that made Jesus, in the eyes, in the eyes of the religious community, that made Jesus unclean. But Jesus didn't care. He reached out and he touched the leper and he makes this awesome statement. The most powerful three words for some of you in this room that you'll ever hear. I am willing. I want to tell you something. At that moment, that leper didn't care. <laughs> Whether the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the other Jews, his family, friends. He didn't care if anybody else was willing. All that mattered at that moment was Jesus was looking right at him. Jesus was touching him. First person who had touched him probably in years, Jesus was touching him and he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately something that had held that man for we don't know how long was gone because Jesus was willing. Now, Hebrews 13.8 is one of the most awesome statements in Scripture. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he was willing to do on this day with this man, he's still willing to do today. So I want you to understand, there's nobody on the outside as far as Jesus is concerned. Now, there may be people who are on the outside as far as the church is concerned. There may be people who are on the outside as far as some preachers and teachers and authors and Christians are concerned. But as far as Jesus is concerned, he's willing to touch anybody. He's willing to go anywhere where anybody that's hurting is. He's, he's willing to cleanse anyone, anytime, anywhere. He's willing. And, and that reminds me of another story. We're not going to turn to the passage, but it reminds me of another story where Jesus one day is, is in town and the Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious leaders bring this woman to him. They've went and they've got her and they bring her. I, may, I imagine they dragged her to where Jesus was. And the Bible says they threw her at his feet. And, and they make this statement. They said, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law says, which the law up until that moment was the word that they lived by, and, and what they are about to say is absolutely correct, is truth. The law says that we should stone this woman and put her to death. That is absolutely what the law said. Under the old covenant, if you were caught in adultery, you would be stoned to death. So they look at Jesus and they say, what, what do you say we should do? And Jesus really doesn't make a statement to them. The Bible actually says he sits down, he writes with his finger in the dust, and he, he makes this unbelievable statement to the whole crowd. He says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So what he's saying is, you know what? This woman is on the outside looking in. She's untouchable, but not because of something that happened to her that was outside of her control. She's untouchable because of something that was totally in her control, something she did. 
You see, some people feel like they can never get into the religious elite crowd on the inside because of something that they had no control over. Just because of just the way life has worked for them. Just because of the way situations have worked for them. They just feel like there's always just, I can get so far, but I just can't get in. And for them, Jesus is willing to reach out and touch. But then there's some people who flat out, they are where they are because they did it to themselves. They knew better. They did it to themselves. They made a mistake. And righteously, there are people who are angered and upset about the mistake that they made. And according to the law, there's ever right to feel that way. But Jesus looks at the people around and all of their righteous indignation and self-righteousness. And he says, well, you're right. That's what the law says. Now, uh, I tell you what, just the one of you that's never sinned, you, you throw the first stone and we'll be good. And I love the way the story continues. It says, little by little, they dropped their stones. One at a time, until, and left and walked away until there was no one there except Jesus and the woman. Amen. And Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she looks around. I doubt that she's really looked around. The only thing she probably saw were the feet walking away because I doubt she'd ever look up. But she looks around now and she says, well, there's none left, Lord. And I, I've said this before when preaching on this message specifically. Jesus was the only one that fit his criteria for stoning her. So he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, none of them fit that criteria, but Jesus actually did. Jesus never sinned. So she's left with the one person who could actually fulfill the requirement and cast the stone. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says these words, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So here's this outsider who's in the place she is because of something she chose to do, what she did to herself. She was wrong. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I could, but I don't. Go. You're free. But don't do this anymore. Don't sin anymore. So in two cases, different cases, Jesus welcomes in those that the religious elite wanted to give no time to. It reminds me of someone else who came to Jesus. It was a woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, in her case, she's dealing with something that made her unclean and untouchable that she had no control of. Yet, in her case, there's a little statement that says she had suffered many things from many physicians for 12 years and none of them could help her. So, you know, in her case... She hadn't done anything to put herself in the position, but she had tried and 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 tried to get out of it so that she could get in, so that she could be a part of what God was doing. She, could, she didn't want to be unclean. She had tried. She had gone everywhere and looked to everybody that was supposed to be able to help her, and she had spent, even the scriptures say, she had spent about everything she had to try to get better, and nobody could help her. But she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. So in spite of her uncleanness, in spite of how she felt, in spite of how she had been treated, because of what she believed, she pressed through the crowd, which would have been a very difficult thing in her weakened state to do. She pressed through the crowd until she got close enough to Jesus to reach down and just touch the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that when she did, Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? And his disciples thought, Lord, how are we supposed to answer that question? You see, there are multitudes. There's throngs of people. That means there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of people pressing in on Jesus. He said, how do we know who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And he said, no, I felt virtue, power go out of me. Somebody didn't just touch me by accident. Somebody touched me on purpose. Somebody didn't just get close to me and brush up against me by, by just happenstance. Somebody on purpose with faith reached down and grabbed hold of me and because of that power. So eventually the woman comes forth and said it was me and Jesus looks at the woman and said your faith has made you whole. Go your way. And she went off healed. Restored. Now I want you to get in every one of these situations these individuals, for all the different reasons, were unclean. They could not get in. They couldn't get close. 
And because of an encounter with Jesus, every one of them were able to come close. Jesus makes the unclean clean. Jesus makes the untouchable touchable. Jesus brings the outsiders in. And if we are going to be like Jesus, that's what we are called to do as well. In many cases, we get to make a decision whether we are going to be Pharisees or we're going to be disciples. If we're going to be disciples, one of the key note prerequisites to being a disciple is to follow Jesus. That means I'm going to stay so close. I'm going to learn from you. You're going to be my example. I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to say what you say. We sang it this morning. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Those are actually the words of Ruth that she spoke to her mother-in-law. Because she said, I'm going to go with you. And Ruth's mother-in-law looked at her and she said, no, you go back. I have nothing for you. She said, no, no, no. So where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And because of her love for her mother-in-law, because of her willingness to go into a place that was foreign to her, she found the blessing of God in her life. There was another man who Jesus absolutely set free. But unlike the woman with the issue of blood, this man had never tried to help himself. But a lot of people had tried to help him. He was in a region called Gadara, and he's known as the Gadarene demoniac. And the Bible tells us about him that when Jesus got on the shore from where he had been, when he came on the shore, this demoniac came running out from the tombs and bowed his feet and the demons inside of him spoke out and says, What do you have to do with us, O Lord, Son of the Most High God? Because you've been tormenting us. Just the very presence of Jesus near them was tormenting the demons inside of this man. Now this man, the Bible says, had been bound by chains and, and, and put out. People had tried everything they could to restrain him and he'd just break the chains and was a terror to the community. He, he was on the outside in because everybody was afraid of him everybody had tried to help him but nothing had worked he wasn't necessarily trying to help himself but when Jesus shows up he rebukes the devil in his life and there was a legion of devils within him but I want to tell you there's no power of the enemy that's too strong for Jesus to defeat and Jesus cast out those devils and that man the next time the townspeople see him is clothed and in his right mind and seated with Jesus and desiring to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Can I tell you something? If Jesus can transform and change the life of the gathering demoniac, guess what? I think he can take care of our problems. I think he can heal your brokenness. I think he can set you free from whatever is going on. Jesus is able. And he loves to bring the outside, those who are on the outside in. Zacchaeus... We all heard the story if you were in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was what? We little man. We little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was short, really short. And he heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he just had to see Jesus. I don't know what he had heard about Jesus, but he just had to see him. So he climbs up in this tree so that he could see over the crowd so that he wouldn't miss Jesus. He knew he needed Jesus. Why? We don't know. Something was already working in his heart. But the thing about Zacchaeus that's interesting is Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was hated and despised by his people because he took taxes from them for Rome and Rome allowed those tax collectors to charge extra and then just as long as they got the tax Rome wanted, you could charge as much excess as you wanted. You could keep the extra skim off the top. It was fine. And so you understand then tax collectors were looked at as traitors to their own people. People hated them. They looked at them as some of the lowest of the low, the most wicked there could be. And Zacchaeus... That's who he was. And so when Jesus is coming by, he climbs up in a tree, and when Jesus comes through, he stops, and he looks up, and Jesus and, I, and this blew the minds of every good religious person around the crowd. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I have to come to your house today. I'm coming to have lunch with you. And Zacchaeus, before he can barely get out of the tree, he says, Lord, I tell you, if, if I've... If I've cheated anybody, I'll take care. I'll pay back double. I'll give up everything I've got. Just, I just want to be close to you. And Jesus welcomed him. Jesus received a lot of criticism for welcoming a tax collector in. The religious crowd talked quite a bit about him. But Zacchaeus came to know and follow 
Jesus. There's one other group, and there's many that I could talk about, but one other group I want to talk about today. One time, parents were bringing their kids to Jesus just to be touched and blessed by him. And when you read the, the text, it's like they were bringing little ones, like those who would still sit on the lap. And when the disciples saw them bringing these little kids to Jesus, they, before Jesus was right there where he could, you know, receive them, the disciples tried to shoo everybody away. They said, get away. You can't bother. I love this phrase. Don't bother the master. He's got so many more important things to do. Do you know why they said that about those kids? Because as far as the disciples were concerned, there was nothing those kids could offer. There was nothing they could contribute. They were just children. As a matter of fact, they were toddlers that would sit on the lap. What in the world are they ever going to do? What can they come and offer? What can they give? What can they and you see, here's the way religion thinks. <laughs> religion thinks we're going to gain God's love and favor by all the things we offer and all the things we do and all the hoops we jump through and all the things we perform. And, and so they're saying, these kids can't do anything. Don't bother the master with it. He doesn't have time for that. He's too busy. And Jesus says, he actually rebukes his own disciples. And he says, Suffer the little children and let them come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, then he turns to them and says, Unless you become like one of these little children, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of God. Wow, for everyone who thinks that you're getting it right and doing good, Jesus is saying, Until you come to the point that you realize you don't have anything to offer me, until you come to the point that you realize that there's nothing you can do to earn it, until you come to the point that you realize you are 100% dependent upon me 100% of the time, you can't even get into the kingdom of God. You can't begin to understand what creates the righteousness and the peace and the joy that rules the kingdom of God. If you want to get in, you've got to be like this little child. But the main point that I want you to note is how many times we're trying to keep people away. How much we try to hold people out now, when I say we, I mean the religious system. And you say, well, that was their day. It's different now. Not so much. I think about one person who, boy, the disciples would have loved to have had on board. He comes to Jesus. His name's the, we call him the rich young ruler. Only thing we know about him is that he's young and he's very rich. Those are two big things because, see, he's young. That means he's got a lot of energy. He can do a lot, and he's very rich. means he's got a lot of resources. I mean, there's an opportunity. And when he comes to Jesus, he says, what must I do? do? Notice that phrase. Notice that word. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus lists some commandments, and mainly dealing with how we treat other people, the second half of the Ten Commandments. And he says to the Lord, now whether he's done it or not, we don't know, but he says, well, all these I've kept from my youth. Well, the thing is, this man would have never come to Jesus at all if he was fulfilled on his own. But he knew in spite of his riches and in spite of his religion and in spite of everything that he was doing, something was missing. So he came to Jesus to say, what do I need to do? What's left for me to do? What hoop can I jump through? And listen, he's not so different from us today because, see, we get to feeling that way and we go to the bookstore. We don't see our problem is we don't even go to Jesus. We go to Lifeway. I love Lifeway, trust me. And you can get good stuff there, but you see, we, we, we go to get a book. Five keys to kingdom life. Six steps to overcoming. Because, you see, we know something's missing, so what must I do? And so Jesus told him what he thought he wanted to hear. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Oh, yes. And he said, well, there's one thing you're missing. And I'm sure in the mind of the rich young ruler, he's thinking, mm, this is it. This is what I came for. I'll do it. You just tell me. Well, go sell everything you have. Everything. Give it to the poor. You will have riches in heaven. And come follow me. Now, here's the key to that. He's saying, what you're missing is following me. That's the key to life. And here's what's keeping you from following me all the stuff that you possess.
And the Bible says the man went away very sorrowful because he had many things. He possessed much. One of the gospel translations says that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. So Jesus didn't make it hard on him because he didn't love him, didn't want him around. Jesus made it difficult because he knew that the only way he would ever truly follow is to become aware of what it was that was keeping him from following to begin with. So don't be surprised when you're trying to get in, when you're trying to get close, if Jesus doesn't just say, hey, this, you need to give me this. And you see, it's really cool when what Jesus wants is the thing we want to get rid of anyway. Give me this. Well, I didn't want that anyway. Woo, you can have it. But what gets more interesting is when Jesus says, yeah, that thing right there, I want that. Wait a minute, God, I kind of like that. What's wrong with that? Well, that's not a problem. But see, that's the one thing that's keeping you out. And so Jesus gave him an opportunity but he walked away. In all of these settings, there was one other group of people. They were there every time, somewhere in the crowd. Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law. And see, here's the thing about them. When people looked at them, they were the ones that were the most religious. They had the scriptures memorized. They never missed going to temple. They kept the law meticulously. They were totally cleaned up. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said this to them. He said, man, you clean up the outside of the dish. Otherwise, they were always clean on the outside. He says, the problem is the inside of the dish is awful. Your outside looks really, really clean, but the inside's a mess. And see, all the defilement, it comes from the inside out, not the outside in. See, here's the amazing thing. The, the, the people who thought they were the most inside were actually totally on the outside. You see, Jesus welcomed into the kingdom adulterers and lepers and tax collectors and gluttons and all kinds of sinners as long as they could all do one thing, recognize that they were sinners. You see, Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And he said, I came for the ones who are sick because they know they need a physician. If you think you're well, then I can't help you. It's not because Jesus didn't have the power to set them free, and it's not because Jesus thought they were really okay. It's because they thought they were really okay, and therefore they would never admit that they needed to get in. Sometimes the ones who seem to be the most inside are not really inside at all. It's just they won't even admit to themselves that something's missing. I'll close out with just this thought today. Then we'll go to one other scripture I want to take you to. One of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels is the story of the prodigal son. But you've heard me preach this before. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of prodigal sons. Because, to be honest, there are two prodigals in the story. One is prodigal outwardly in action. One is prodigal inwardly in his heart. But they're both far from the father. One of them lives on the same property with the father and works for the father all the time. He just doesn't know the father. The one that we always think of as the prodigal is the one who has the audacity to ask for the inheritance before his father's dead. And he goes off and squanders all the money with riotous, wild living and finds himself in a pigsty, comes to his senses and says, hey, even the hired servants in my father's house are making it better than me. I'm going to go home to my father and say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but if you'll just let me be a hired servant, I'll have life better than I'm having it right now. And so you know the story. He comes home, and while he's a long way off, the father who has apparently been watching for him all this time sees him. And the father runs to him. And before he has a chance to do, give his spiel about how he's not worthy to be called his son, the father's wrapped him up in his embrace and he's kissed him and he's put, said to the servants, bring the, the ring which represented the seal and the power and the authority of the family name. Put him on him, give him some good sandals for his feet, give him a good robe. We're going to celebrate, we're going to have a party because this son of mine who was lost yeah. is home again. Yeah. So the story of the prodigal on the outside wound up being a happy ending. 
But we find out that the other son who's been with the father all this time and serving him and working for him and never asked for his money and never went out anywhere, he, he's in the fields and as he comes into the close to home, he hears all the noise and all the, from the celebration and the party and he asks the servant, says, what's all this noise I hear? And he says, well, your brother who had gone off and, and spent all your father's money that he gave him on wild living has come home and your father's so glad to see him. He's killed the fatted calf and he's having a party for him and the son gets so mad he won't even come in out of the field. So when the father hears about it, once again, the father goes to the son. Man. Now see, isn't it, well, doesn't it seem like it ought to be the son going to the father? But in both cases, one was trying, but the father got to him first. The other wasn't even trying, but the father went to him anyway. And by the time the father gets to the older son, he just says... I've, he literally says this, I have slaved away for you all these years while this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours has gone off and spent your inheritance on wild living. He comes home, you have a party for him and you've never had a party for me. The father is actually, the Bible says, trying to get the son to come in and celebrate with him. He says, I won't come in there. I'm not going to celebrate. There's nothing to celebrate. You ought to make him suffer. And the father makes this unbelievable statement. He says, son, you've been with me all this time. Don't you know that everything I have is yours? The answer to that question is no. He didn't know that. Because although he had been close to the father and worked for the father, he never knew the father. There could be a thousand reasons why you may feel like you're on the outside looking in. There could be a thousand reasons why you may feel like you're on the inside looking out. But the only thing that matters is, are you following Jesus? John 3.16, the verse we all know so well, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So whosoever, whoever, insiders, outsiders, clean, unclean, broken, whole, bound free, whosoever call upon me, believe in me, should not perish but have everlasting life. The next verse says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, rescued, delivered, made whole. I want you to look at one other scripture before we close, and it's in Revelation chapter 3. I want to look at this in a little different light than we may have ever looked at it before. I want to begin in verse 14. This is Jesus' address to the church at Laodicea, which is the church that was lukewarm. Verse 14 says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Neither one. Kind of in between. I could wish that you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to use the actual word that the New King James uses because it's actually the word that's used. It was cleaned up by some of our early translators. They say spew. But the actual word means vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now notice this. Here's what the church at Laodicea said. Because you say, I am rich, I am wealthy, I have need of nothing, but you do not know that in actuality you are wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may truly be rich. And white garments that you may truly be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. To anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may truly see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline or chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now notice verse 20. This is where I want you to see. And you, this is a very familiar verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup or commune or dine with him and he with me. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've heard that verse over and over and over again, probably. You may have even seen a painting. There's a really famous painting. You may have seen it, may have had it in your home, may have it in your home, where Jesus is on the outside and he's knocking at a door. And if you ever notice real close on the door on purpose, the artist didn't leave a latch on the outside of the door. The only latch was on the inside. Now, we've interpreted that verse, and it is a correct interpretation. It's an awesome interpretation that individually, Jesus is on the outside of the door of my heart, knocking, and all I have to do is decide to let him in, and he'll come in and commune with me. And that's true. In all of its glorious splendor, that's the truth. Praise God. You know, there's no latch on the outside. Jesus, Jesus in all of his glory, stands and waits for you to answer. But if you will answer, he will come in, and that's awesome. But I want you to go back and see who this is addressed to. It's not addressed to an individual. Do you know that? It's addressed to a church. He says to the church of Laodicea that was lukewarm, he's still talking to a church here. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. So apparently... Here's a church going through all of its normal rituals and all of its normal stuff, and they say about themselves, oh, we got it, praise God, we're doing good. We're wealthy and we're blessed and we're strong and we got everything we need. Bless God, we're encouraged. We're, we're whole, we're just, we're just growing in God. We just got it all, praise God. That's what the church was saying. But Jesus is saying, you don't realize that you're actually poor and you have no vision. You're the emperor without the clothes, as the old story goes. And the only person you're fooling is yourself. And Jesus is not inside, he's outside, knocking. But here's the wonderful revelation of this. He said, if anyone... Now, see, we get that. That's why we think he's talking to individual believers, and that's a wonderful revelation. But here's the thing. He's actually talking to a church... And he didn't say, it's got to be all of you. You've all got to take a vote and you've all got to choose. Now, if y'all will all take a vote and by a 50, 60% majority, all of you will choose to open the door and let me in. I'll come in and I'll revive your church and I'll pour out my... He didn't say that. He said, if any one of you, any one of you will choose to get up and open the door of the church, I will come in. And I will commune with him. And I will dine with him. But notice that if anyone opens the door of the church so that Jesus can get in, he may only be communing with one, but at least he is in. And once he gets in and that person begins to commune with God and they begin to actually have a vision again and they begin to actually be clothed with the robe of his righteousness and the power of his goodness and they actually begin to be able to walk in his goodness and his grace, Jesus is at least in and not on the outside and now he can begin to spread his flame and his fire. Listen, a lot of us will spend most of our time complaining and grumbling and griping because this and that and the church and this and that and the church and this and that and the church. But did you know that God didn't set up a multiple uh, a group of committee to decide whether or not he can come in or not? He said, hey, if you, any one of you will open a door, I'll come in. And me and you will have communion. And if I'm in and we're having communion, then there is no limit to what I can do. And listen, there are a lot of hurting people in every church across this nation. I don't care what name you put over the door. I don't care if it's a big crowd or a small crowd. I don't care where they're at. There are hurting people in every church. In every church there are people who even though they're in church this morning they feel like they're on the outside looking in. Some of it's because of things they did to themselves. Some of it's because of things that were done to them that's outside of their control. Some of it's they've tried some people have tried everything they can to get to a place where they feel like they're in but every time they try they just seem like they're that much further outside. Some people aren't trying at all. And you're actually sometimes, you know, you look at them, you think, oh no, that's trouble. But they, they're not even trying. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus had an answer for every single one of them. Jesus was the answer for every single one of them. There are some whom you may look at as a member of the, yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm telling you something. That's just nothing but a ranked sinner. And they may very well be a ranked sinner. And until they realize that that's who they are, they won't climb up to see 
see Jesus like Zacchaeus. But the minute they realize that's who they are and they're willing to go whatever amount they have to go, whatever extra mile they have to go to see Jesus, Jesus will stop and invite them in. Listen, Jesus is still the one who welcomes the prodigals no matter what kind of prodigal you are. He's still the father that stands and goes to you. That's who he is. He never changes. And it doesn't take a committee to open a door. It doesn't take a majority to open a door. It takes one person in every home, in every church, in every workplace, in every school, in every neighborhood. It takes one person to simply get the noise of your life turned down enough that you can hear him knocking. And then get up and choose to open the door. Because what brings you from the outside in (laughs) is actually letting Jesus inside. And I'm going to tell you something. He's waiting. And you may be thinking, man, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) I'm in the big sty right now. Well, there was a prodigal like that one time. But he came to his senses. And he came home. And the father was waiting. So that's what matters. Doesn't matter where you've been. Matters if you're willing to come home. Doesn't matter how far on the outside you feel like you are. Just matters if you're willing to call out to Jesus. Because I promise you, if you call out to Jesus, he'll stop. And he'll look at you. And he's more than willing to reach out to you. To make you whole. To make you clean. And to bring you in. You say, well, I believe every bit of the, everything you're saying. Sometimes I feel like people still treat me like outsiders. Well, trust me. There are always those. There were always Pharisees. And there always will be. To you, if that's who you are, let me say this. In all the compassion I can muster in my heart, Jesus said one time, and he was talking to Pharisees, he said, offenses must come. They're going to come. Nothing you can do about it. You're going to opportunities to be offended, to be discouraged. They're going to come. Life will do that. But he said to the crowd, particularly to the Pharisees, he said, woe to him through whom the offense comes. It would be better for him that he have a millstone, that's a big rock or piece of concrete for our day, tied around his neck and thrown into the ocean. Now you know what happens if somebody gets a piece of concrete tied around their neck and thrown in the ocean, right? So it would be better for you to die than to offend even one of these little ones and cause them to stumble. So for every Pharisee, I know nobody wants to bear that resemblance, so just let me, let me just set you at ease. I've realized the older I get, and I look at myself honestly in the mirror of God's Word, I'm amazed how many times God's had to convict me of Pharisaical attitudes. I'm amazed how many times God said, and I don't even know why I'm amazed. That just shows how Pharisaical I can be, that I'm amazed that I could be Pharisaical. Think about that for a minute. So what do you do with that? You fall on your face. You say, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, change me. God, keep my heart sensitive. Keep my heart open. God, help me see people the way you see people. But for everybody else in the room, You feel like you're on the outside looking in. Jesus is knocking at the door. All you got to do is get up and open it. He does the rest. He does the rest. John chapter 1, it says about Jesus, he says, To as many of those as received and believed him, to them he gave the power the right or the authority to become the sons or the children of God. 
I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I don't know specifically who God sent this message for today. It may be a lot of people in this room. But I know that God kept me up tossing and turning over it, speaking it into my heart all through the early morning hours. So if you are one of those who feels like you're on the outside looking in, if you're one of those that's tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to fix yourself, if you're one of those that's done everything you do to, that you know how to do to make yourself feel like you're a part, but you just can't seem to do it, I want to tell you today that I believe God sent this message for you specifically to tell you, hey, I see you. I've stopped right in the process of everything I'm doing and I'm reaching out to you. I'm willing to touch you right where you are. I'm not afraid to touch you. I can make you whole. If you'll come to me, i make you a part of everything I am and everything I'm doing. Just come to me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. All it takes is one to open. When you open that door, it radically transforms your individual life, but it also radically changes your family and radically changes the church that you're in. It radically changes everything. It just takes opening a door to Jesus. If you have been failed by the church, if I've failed you, understand, a church is made up of human beings and we all fail from time to time. But don't let the offense or the hurt of someone in the family of God keep you from coming to God. Because He's your Father and He's watching. He's waiting. You may have messed up beyond all recognition. You don't even recognize yourself anymore. But if you can come to your senses and understand how good your Father is, the minute you start coming home, He'll run to meet you. And if you think you've got it all together pretty good and you've been working your fingers to the bone for the Father but you've never come into the house you've never celebrated with Him you've never really known Him let me tell you something you're as much on the outside as the other prodigal you may be a son but you're on the outside looking in the Father comes to you too He says come on I prepared a feast Let's all celebrate together. You're welcome home. Specifically, if that's you today that God's speaking to, or maybe there's a number of people God's speaking to, He sent this for you today. All you've got to do is say yes to Him and open the door. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care how far on the outside you feel. Jesus welcomes you in. And I join Him. I say, welcome home. All you got to do is say yes. If that's you and you need to do that today, for whatever reason, I challenge you to respond. Lift your hand right where you're at. I want to pray for you this morning. You always feel like you're on the outside looking in. No matter how hard you try, you just never quite feel like you fit. You never quite feel like you belong. You always feel like you're being judged. You always feel like somebody's looking at you in some wrong way. Not necessarily somebody's saying it or doing it. Maybe they do. But you always feel that way. And it keeps you on the outside. And God's saying to you right now, come home. I got you. I got you. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Come on in from the outside. If that's you, anybody else you know God's speaking to you, just lift your, all right? Anybody else you know God's speaking to you, that's where you're at today. That's why God sent this message. We can all learn from it, but God sent this message specifically for you today. Anybody else you know that's you, just lift your hand just real quick. I want to pray for you before we close. All right, let's stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up these who have lifted their hands this morning. Father God, we thank you for the word and I thank you it never returns to you empty. It always accomplishes your purpose. So everything you intended in this message for everybody in this room, I thank you it's going to be accomplished. We receive it by faith. But Father, specifically for these that have lifted their hands, they know that you're speaking to them today. They know that you're calling them inside. Father God, we just thank you
for freedom. We thank you for healing. We thank you for wholeness. We thank you, God, that their acceptance is in you. And Father God, I thank you that as they run to you, you see them coming and you run to them and you meet them right where they are and you put your arms around them, you embrace them. You're not afraid to touch them. And Father God, I just thank you for releasing them and bringing them peace today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We love you today. If you need special prayer for anything at all, we'll be around as long as you need us to be. Otherwise, we're going to let you go. Be blessed. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Nothing going on here tonight. We will have millennials tomorrow night, but nothing tonight. Have a great, safe afternoon. Um